Hey guys, it's Ken. I wanted to share a quick word with you about our new sponsor, OfficerPrivacy.com. Hey, did you know that all your information is all over the internet? Your home address and even cell phone numbers? This is a problem for you and your family as a police officer or applicant. Just do a quick search on the internet. You're going to find all kinds of news articles about anti-police groups showing up at officers' homes. We have to do everything we can to protect our families from these groups. Check out our friends at OfficerPrivacy.com. Using their free software, you can remove your private info from the internet in about an hour, or you can have their team of Leos do the work for you. I highly recommend them. So go to OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash PAP, PAP for the Police Applicant Podcast. That's our special code, guys. OfficerPrivacy.com forward slash PAP and sign up today. It'll be the best thing you can do for you and your family. So let's get to today's episode. Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, hey, welcome everybody to a special YouTube Live of the Police Applicant Podcast. We are joined here today with Sergeant Betsy Bretner-Smith. Welcome, Betsy, to the to the uh, special episode. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. Yeah, this is pretty great because I appreciate you fitting us in. This this has been a hot topic in the last few days with this uh, with this uh, deputy in uh, in uh, L.A. that was murdered in his car. And I just want to uh, I can't think of anybody better to talk about this subject because it, it because it's it's just not the focus on the murder of this police officer, this deputy sheriff. But it's also this war on cops that's been escalating. And we talked about this the first time you and I met up. And this is just a real escalation into it. So I want to talk a little bit about, first, I'm going to go and and update everybody in case they they haven't uh, kept up to this. Um, So on Saturday, September 16th, Deputy Ryan Clinken... Broomer, he's 30. He was found unconscious in his car with a gunshot wound to his head. Uh, by a passerby on uh, it was Saturday evening, and the deputy was sitting in his patrol car outside the sheriff's station. Uh, he had been on duty and in uniform. He was shot leaving the station. He was sitting at a red light. Somebody stopped their car and uh, just went up to him and assassinated him. Just shot him in the back of the head. Um, and uh, this deputy is a third generation LA County deputy sheriff. He got engaged to his girl four days before he was murdered. And uh, his grandfather rose to the rank of captain and his father was a lieutenant. And uh, here we have the suspect was arrested uh, yesterday. And I'm going to take this off because I don't want to give that dirtbag any more screen time than I have to. But the things I want to talk about, the, the news media is always is already coming up with the, oh, he was a schizophrenic, and they're trying to make excuses as opposed to this is happening. But first, um, to let everybody know who who Betsy is, she retired in 2009 as a 29-year veteran of a large metropolitan police department in the Chicago suburbs. She served on the advisory board of Police Marksman Magazine, is currently a featured 
columnist and video contributor, both officer.com and police1.com. Your, your bio is so much. I wasn't able to fit it all in, but you're also uh, a Fox News, Newsmax contributor, along with a lot of whenever there's something that's hot, um, they call Betsy up to, to <laughs> give her take on this. You're an author and a, a um, and you're also the spokesperson for the uh, National Police Association. So with that, I want to hand this over to you. So when you first saw what happened to the deputy, what, what were your first thoughts? Uh, it's just heartbreaking. You know, again, uh, <laughs> Deputy Clickenbroomer was a third generation crime fighter. Um, his dad and his grandpa both worked for the um, uh, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department as well. You know, he had been on the job eight years, so he got on the job as soon as he was able to do so. And by all accounts, he was a terrific cop. He had just transferred to the Palmdale area a few months before. And uh, and I, I want everyone, if you haven't seen the video, go online and watch the video. It's hard to watch, but watch the video of his assassination because he pulls away from the station, pulls over, you know, something we all typically did, you know, working on a report, whatever it is. And you see this scumbag pull up and literally execute him and the uh the murderer's name is kevin salazar and uh his family you know his sister was kind of the spokesman for the family and and she said well he's had some mental health issues he might be schizophrenic he's had a couple of um uh involuntary committals but of course he was always able to get out very quickly he owned multiple firearms and his family knew he owned multiple firearms but they obviously did nothing, uh, you know, to help that situation. And I think uh, most of L.A. County right now is asking themselves, will George Gascon do the right thing? Because we really can't depend on the L.A. County prosecutor, former cop. I hate to say that George Gascon um, to really do the right thing here. He claims that he is going to prosecute this case to the fullest extent of the law. But um Already the Salazar family is making noise that, uh, oh, he was mentally ill. I don't care how mentally ill you are. You don't get to murder a cop. Now, this happened on Thank a Police Officer Day, September 19th. Or I'm sorry, September 16th. Three days earlier, a young police officer, a young dad and husband, was murdered in Iowa by a stalker and a fugitive. So this was the, you know, we had multiple cops shot uh, in just a few days. We also had a um, Texas police officer shot in the face during a traffic stop. And I could go on and on and on. There truly is a war on cops out there. You and I have talked about this in the past and you on your Uh, awesome social media platforms. You talk about this virtually every day and we don't seem to be getting a handle on it. No. And um, the thing about this is that George Gascon, who for anybody doesn't know, he's an LA County district attorney. He didn't even, he didn't even have the time to show up at the news conferences. Um. And he's a uh, God. I don't. I, I don't have anything good. To, I'm. I'm embarrassed that he was a. He's a retired LAPD officer. That's embarrassing to me. But what do you think is going to happen? Do you and and the sheriff Luna. He's there. He's buddies with Gascon. 
do you think this is going to do you think this is going to turn out or do you what do you think about the feds taking over on this well i don't know you know i watched sheriff luna you know he seems genuinely heartbroken but he has been behind so many of these anti-cop policies um brought in not just by george gascon but brought in by the, the your legislature there in California, you know, ushered in by the governor, you know, and this is the thing. Let's, let's go back and talk about George Gascon. He's the prosecutor in LA County. He is one of the over 73 George Soros installed prosecutors in this country. He is one of the most well-known and he is the guy who said that he would not prosecute uh, many, many different types of crimes. And one of the things his office has been doing is his office has been trying to get out of prison uh, people who have already been convicted of crimes. He is not a friend of crime victims. He's certainly not a friend of law enforcement. And, uh, you know, but he survived a recall effort. And uh, so the people in L.A. County who elected him, I've got to say, are kind of stuck with him, uh, you know, for the time being. And again, same with the sheriff. The sheriff, um, when he got elected, spent a lot of time talking about, uh, frankly, pro-criminal policies and and kind of chastising his own deputies. You know, just like we've seen with Mayor Karen Bass, you know, in uh, the city Mm -hmm. of L.A., And, uh, you know, California is not a great place to be a citizen right now or to be a police officer. One of the things I'm not sure that people understand uh, that's happening in California, there's a task force in California that investigates police shootings of unarmed people. Now, when you when you anybody can Google this and you'll eventually find it, although Google doesn't want you to. Um, Mm -hmm. But this task force has basically failed at the job it was supposed to do. And the few um, cases that they have been able to investigate, they have been forced to find that the police officer involved did nothing wrong. California legislators spend a lot of time trying to pass new legislation that hamstrings law enforcement and that provides cover, if you will, for criminals, and they just don't seem to give a damn about crime victims. And the and the the uh, the politicians uh, they come out. You know, if they come out with any statements, they're very, very like uh, what do you call a cookie cutter? Uh, Karen Bass hasn't come out with anything uh, significant. Guess gone. He's uh, his office put something out. I haven't seen anything from Gavin Newsom, the governor. So are are these laws? Well, let's let's let me ask you this. The, we talked about the escalation of the war on cops. I can go back to 2008 with Obama and and moving forward with with the birth of BLM and all this kind of stuff. And we always talk about the war on cops. But is is this like. I mean, you've got the the New York Nintendo riots. You've got these these kids that are challenging cops and fighting with them. You've got blatant murders of police officers. Is this an escalation? 
what we have is just a general lack of concern for the safety of others, for the property of others. That's why you see these gangs of retail thieves. Um, you know, you see these viral videos all around the country, uh, a lot of them in California. This is why you see, um, you know, Whole Foods bailing out of its flagship store. This is why you see malls closing in San Francisco. This is why you see these high-end malls attacked by criminal gangs and the, you know, security guards sprayed with uh, pepper spray. And uh, and now what we're starting to see is uh, it's getting more attention because people of wealth, people of fame and notoriety are starting to become crime victims, not just in California, but all mm-hmm. around the country. Washington, D.C. is a perfect example where the Washington, D.C., right. uh, you know, defund the police city council tried to pass sweeping criminal justice reform <laughs> in their own criminal code. And in a in a uh, crazy, uh, rare bipartisan move, Congress had to step in mm-hmm. and shut that down because it was basically going to uh, open up um, a lack of penalties and a, and a, just make it easier for people to commit crime in Washington, D.C. And one of the reasons that they decided to uh, vote against that Congress was because some of their own members and staffers uh, were getting attacked, physically attacked on the streets of uh, the District of Columbia. So we're, we're seeing that in L.A. We're seeing that in Chicago. We're seeing that in uh, Seattle. Seattle is crazy dangerous right now. We also see that nine out of every 10 police departments um, is shorthanded on this country, is, is shorthanded in this country. So is there a war on cops? There, there absolutely is. And, and to go back to your original question, there truly is a lack of um, human concern for the lives of, again, not just police officers, but for people in general. I'm sure um, most of your viewers and listeners saw that viral video that came out of Las Vegas where uh, a month ago in September, a retired police chief um, was murdered right before our eyes by two young thugs live streaming um, basically uh a live action video game. This was, they were modeling a video game that they had played and they happened to see a 65 year old guy on his road bike, trying to get some exercise and they just ram him and kill him on the spot. And, and again, we see this throughout the country. Let me just give you, let me, Ken, let me just give everybody a few stats right now. We have had, as of right now, 36 police officers killed just by gunfire this year, we've had officers murdered in other uh, ways, um, stabbings, assaults, and vehicular assaults, but 36 have been killed by gunfire this year. We've had over 300 police officers shot so far this year, and it's September, and 100 of those officers were shot in, in 80 ambush-style attacks, the type of attack that killed our deputy uh, in uh, Los Angeles County. So is there a war on cops? You're damn right there is. And you know what's what's got me too is that these suspects, you know, when you and I were working patrol, we would go after people and we we knew they were they were good for something. It seems in 2023 the 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 reason to to kill a cop is because 
they're there or they they want to talk to you. So what what's going on with that? It just seems like it's an escalation in the, in the ability. They went from no, 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 I'm going to resist to I'm just going to shoot you because you get out of the car. That's because of this three years plus of the false narratives that somehow American law enforcement is the problem. Remember, famously, the president of the United States, when he was a candidate for president, when he was going through the primary process, he famously said on television that if you are a young African-American and you get pulled over by the police, you will probably be shot in the head. That is inexcusable for anyone to say that. This is why the National Police Association exists, because what we are trying to do is fight that false narrative that somehow it's the American law enforcement officer that is the problem when it comes to violent crime in this country. And, you know, I get into arguments with people all the time where they say, well, uh, you know, the American law enforcement officers gunning down African-American men every day. No, we're not. Mm-hmm. And in fact, who guns down young African-American men? Sadly, I, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's mostly uh, young uh, African-American men. They're killing each other. It's not us. The American law enforcement um, officer, we kill about a thousand people a year. The Washington Post and a website called um, uh, mapping police violence loves mm-hmm. to throw out these statistics, but they don't tell you why these people were killed by law enforcement. Why do we use deadly force? Because someone is trying to kill us. You know, we're in fear for our life or for in fear for the life of an innocent third party. But when you just Google these statistics or you watch TikTok or you look at Twitter, you know, these places, especially young people get their news, they are being told that it's us that is attacking them, that it's the American law enforcement officer. That's the problem. So that has translated now, Ken, into exactly what you just said, where people are just killing police officers because they can. And it's because they perceive us as dangerous. They don't value our lives. And uh, frankly, they don't value anybody's lives, including their own. Yeah. You know, in 2020, I mean, this, the, the, the nation burnt down. It was all about BLM and it was all about demonizing the police officers. Then all of a sudden that just went away. And what happened? <laughs> what happened? The, the cops, the, uh, and and it, it was interesting that it was a, a, an election year, but our our do you think we're looking forward to twenty twenty four and then them ramping up the cops are killing black men and all this again? Well, I don't know because you know I had a lot of hope in uh, November of twenty twenty two where we all thought there was going to be this big uh, red wave, and you know we're the National Police Association we're an apolitical group. But we advocate for pro-law enforcement, pro-crime victim policies and laws. And so we were hopeful in November of 2022 that we were going to, you know, see uh, elected a lot of pro-police, pro-law and order candidates. And frankly, that didn't happen. So as we, uh, you know, we have a, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of local elections around the country this fall, November 7th. There's going to be a lot of 
mayoral races uh, that are important, city council races, things like that. And I want people to understand, you got to pay attention. I know we're getting all eaten up with who's going to be the presidential candidates in 2024. First of all, all politics is local. That's an old famous saying. And we have very important elections around the country this November. Pay attention to who is running in your local area for city council, for your county board, for your county prosecutor, for your local sheriff's race, things like that. Make sure these are pro-America, pro-police, pro-crime victim, pro-law and order candidates. And then as we go into 2024, do I think crime and the war on cops is going to be an issue? You're darn right it's going to be an issue. And, uh, And I hope the American people really see what's happening because you know the national police association again we do polling and our polling of likely voters tells us that people like their cops they're worried about our safety they're worried about our mental health and they don't want us defunded they want us to have more funding and in fact right now we have a mobile billboard traveling around this country today it's in texas and uh, and it's got a mobile billboard from the National Police Association asking people to defend the police, not defund the police, defend the police. And you know what? It's wildly popular. Go figure. So hopefully that translates into us all seeing a change in this country to go back to law and order. It, it seems like there's. I don't know if it, I don't know if this is something that I'm just making up, but it seems like there's support for the cops more than there was before. And um, Heather McDonald has a really good book called War on Cops. You have it in the on your shelf there, uh, and I've seen her numerous times. And she was talking about this back in 2020. So now, th- and, and you know what, I, I want to get your take on this because in 2020. She she's going on news. They're talking about war on cops and all this types of things. And the and the left is poo pooing her. You know, there's no war. Well, they called her racist. Yes, yes. I mean, she she was just spitting out facts, and I guess that's racist. But now here we are. Heather's back in those in three years ago talking about this stuff, and then in 2023, police departments can't recruit to save their lives. There are police departments giving out. $30,000 hiring bonuses, 45. There's one in California with $75,000 hiring bonuses. How are they paying for that 75,000? They're using the salaries of the officers. (laughs) They quit. And so how is this, how is this war on cops? How has this affected recruitment? Well, as you know, it's, you know, most uh, police departments, large or small in this country, are short-staffed. And in fact, when you look at, because I think most people don't know, we, you know, we always think of LAPD, Chicago PD, NYPD. Most police departments are small. And what we are seeing is rural towns and counties in this country are having to just disband their police departments and try and contract with nearby jurisdictions or the county sheriff's department because they can't hire enough police officers to even staff these tiny small town police departments. So Mm -hmm. this, this three years, and, and really we can go back to 2014, the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, the rise of the black lives matter grift. 
Um, mm-hmm. We can go back to all of that. That's what really started this. But especially, again, the last three years of this vilification and demonization of the American law enforcement officer has led to cops on the job saying, you know what, I'm out. Uh, I'm going to get my 20 years and get out. Or you know what? I've been here 12 years. I'm going to go do something else for a living. I'm going to figure out something else to do to support my family. And then we have young people who were encouraged by people like you and me to, hey, be a cop. It's the best job ever. We loved being a cop. and uh, But now we're not doing that anymore. And so we can't recruit quality applicants. And this is something you talk about. It's so valuable, the information you put out there. You talk about this a lot, is the lack of quality candidates. And you and I spent our whole careers talking about what? The professionalization of law enforcement. We wanted to be a profession like lawyers and like doctors and like teachers. So yeah, let's get educated and let's have lots of training and let's be professional in all that we do. Now we're scraping the bottom of the barrel to get, you know, to fill up a, you know, an academy class of 30 people where we would have had a thousand people vying for 50 jobs. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, I keep in the know as far as LEPD recruitment goes, they need 60 people for class. They put 13 classes per year. They need 60. They're getting 25, 22. And and, you know, I just think that's indicative of the of the problem that we have. It's just not all the I mean, police candidates just don't all of a sudden go, nah, I don't in mass. I don't think I want to be a cop. There's something that's driving that. And uh, you made mention of Gavin Newsom and oh, you've got Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, where these are just crime meccas. Crime is out of control in a lot of these areas. What what is the news media asking you when when you go on Fox News and Newsmax and these other uh, news shows? What are they asking you? What do they want to know from you? Well, they want to know where this is all heading. You know, I get that question every single day. What are we going to do about this, Sarge? And where are we heading? And and that's you know, you talk about you talk about Gavin Newsom, who is traveling around the country, uh, but he's not a candidate for anything. Um, but he's talking about all of his great policies while he is the number two state in the nation that people are fleeing from. Uh, my home state of Illinois is number one, I'm sad to say. But uh, but he doesn't give a damn about cops and he doesn't appear to give a damn about crime victims. And, you know, part of it, you know why? He doesn't have to worry about it. He's got personal security. He lives, you know, he lives in the governor's mansion. His aunt Nancy Pelosi you know, has great security and uh, all of his friends and family, you know, he can go out and have dinner at the French Laundry and uh, his bodyguards will go with him and he doesn't have to worry about getting carjacked or anybody attacking the restaurant or anything like that. And uh, and so he just wants to um, push that leftist rhetoric again that somehow we need more and more police reform instead of criminal reform. But, you know, to get so to get back to your original question, what do I get asked? What are we going to do? So I keep asking people to pay attention. I know that most people who are pro police and pro law and order are probably right now working two jobs. And, uh, you know, they're trying to raise their kids or get through college or whatever it is. But you have got to pay attention to your local elections. And you also have to make 
your voice heard. One of the things we do locally here in the in Pima County, Arizona, is that we communicate with our local and state and federal legislators. You know, we send emails and we say, hey, this sounds like a stupid bill or hey, this sounds like a great bill. We need you to do this. What are you doing about this? We have got to stop being so supine as voters and as Americans. And I know people, you know, I know a lot of people are listening to me say this going, nothing we do is going to help Sarge, you know, yes, it will. We have got to be loud and we have got to be proud about taking this country back from the criminals, from the cartel and from the anti-police, anti-law and order far left. So you, um, you talk about the, you know, you talk about like Gavin Newsom, I, I focus on him because he's, well, he's an idiot. But the the thing about him is that places like California, they they come up with laws, Colorado, all these, all these states that want to do away with qualified immunity. And qualified immunity, you take that away and you let police candidates know, I, I don't think that's a good uh, I don't think that's a good thing. Can you talk about qualified immunity and why it's important? I think, you know, well, you hear a lot of propaganda about qualified immunity. Qualified immunity means cops can do anything they want and they can't be sued. Nothing could be further from the truth. All qualified immunity does is protect a police officer against frivolous, nonsensical, or mean-spirited lawsuits. I have been sued multiple times. I was a cop for 29 years. I was sued multiple times. Every single one of them was frivolous. And as long as I was acting within the scope of my department's policy and what I was doing was, was, um, you know, I was doing it under the color of law. And I was involved in an off-duty lawsuit as well. And my department uh, covered me because these lawsuits were frivolous and, and ridiculous. All qualified immunity says is that your police department, your jurisdiction will back you up in a, a lawsuit as long as you are acting within the scope of the laws and your department policy. So even if I make a mistake, as long as I made that mistake thinking that I was doing the right thing, then qualified immunity covers me. Now, again, people are saying, well, if you make a mistake, shouldn't you be punished? We get punished for making a mistake. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, famously, Kim, uh, Officer Kim Potter in Minnesota mm-hmm. um, accidentally pulled out her handgun when she thought she was pulling out her taser and she paid civilly. And she paid criminally, you know, she spent over a year in prison. Um, But, you know, the department um, was able to, you know, back her up, you know, civilly and and things like that. So, yes, we get punished when we do wrong things. One of the things I want people to understand is this. The Johns Hopkins University just came out with a uh, study that that looked at all of uh, places that people get medical care, not just hospitals, but urgent care, doctor's offices, uh, you know, doctor pop-ups, things like that. And they found that there are over 750,000 people a year killed by medical mistakes in this country. Are we 
pro how many protests can are at the hospital nearest wow. to your house how many doctors offices are we trying to burn down or picket how many doctors and nurses are we trying to put in prison oh none so we have got to understand yes <laughs> cops make mistakes you know what when you compare us to the medical profession and other professions our mistakes are few and far between, and the scrutiny is incredibly high. And one more thing, last year, I believe it was over 250 school teachers in this country were arrested and are being prosecuted for the sexual assault of children. But again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to protest cops. We're trying to get rid of cops. It's an upside down world that we're living in and that is one of the many reasons why we can't get people to stay in this profession or to come as new recruits to be American law enforcement officers. Yeah, it seems like politicians, a lot of times, they'll just jump on the bandwagon. Let's defund the cops. Let's uh, do away with qualified immunity. Let's decertify cops. And it's it seems like the flavor of the week or something like that. Um, and that, that bugs me. But I want to, you know what? I got to ask you. I got to ask you a question here. I am such not a fan of weak police chiefs. Weak police chiefs who are politicians, they're just figureheads. And I could go on for days about police chiefs. What and 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 what is your take on these political puppets? I'm gonna go and say it for me. These political puppets who are appointed as police chiefs, but they just do not inspire. I would not go into a gun battle with a lot of these chiefs. What, what's your take on that? I would ask uh, everyone to, uh, first of all, if you want to see what a real police chief looks like, go to San Bernardino, California. They have a chief there um, who is just an incredible leader. He tells the truth. He backs up his people and uh, and he punishes them when they need to be punished. He's just a f and, and you know what? His community loves him as well. Uh, but we see so many of these police chiefs and police superintendents who are incredibly weak. And again, we started seeing this in 2020 when we saw these police leaders, police chiefs and their deputy chiefs and things like that, laying down on the pavement and kneeling in front of Black Lives Matter. It makes me sick. And uh, and and you know what we're seeing though with with so many of these police chiefs, we're, especially when you look uh, east, um, we're seeing a lot of these East Coast police chiefs that are are now leaving. They were brought in with great fanfare that they were going to reform this agency and change this agency. Uh, right now, Philadelphia, Danielle Outlaw comes to mind. You know what? She came in. She was going to be this great reformer. Uh, she came from Portland. And you know what happened? Homicide skyrocketed during mm -hmm. her reign. So she's actually leaving to take a lesser job in New Jersey. And she's she's not the only one. We're seeing this all around the country. Weak police chiefs lead to weak police work in their communities. And they directly affect crime victims in the neighborhoods that they profess to want to protect. You know, this is why there's such a huge difference between police chiefs and sheriffs. Sheriffs are elected yeah. by the people. Police chiefs, generally speaking, are appointed by politicians. Mm -hmm. So you look at these police chiefs all around 
uh, in these extremely uh, blue cities, Portland, Seattle, L.A., Austin, Chicago, NYPD. You know, and NYPD had a great police uh, commissioner in Keyshawn Sewell. And you know what they just did? They just ran her out on a rail because she was a, a a good leader, a cop's cop, and she wanted the NYPD, the largest police department in this country, to actually do police work, and her mayor wouldn't have it, so she's out. So it's really unfortunate. You see these great leaders come in, and a lot of times they get run out on a rail by politicians, by anti-police politicians, and uh, you see the weak ones. They want to keep that six-figure double six-figure job and get that great pension and they don't really give a dang about their communities. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what I've always thought. It's just about their, their pension, you know, what, what contributes to their pension. And Mm -hmm. uh, that just makes me nuts. There's a, there's um, the, the Polk County Sheriff in Florida, Grady. Grady (laughs) So, and they go, the news media will say something like, don't you think it's a little inflammatory that you uh, you say that we'll shoot the bad guy? And he goes, we'll shoot him graveyard dead. <laughs> That's how bad we'll shoot them. And I like I like that. I mean, police work is violent. And if you shoot at cops, somebody, a police chief needs to go, if you shoot at my officers, we're going to shoot back. There's a great likelihood you will not survive. So it's not a good idea. But I don't see that a lot. I don't see that a lot. No, and in fact, you know, going to uh, back to uh, the murder of our LASC deputy, um, you know, you you heard a lot of kind of strong talk from uh, people, including you know, including the sheriff. We're gonna get we're gonna get this bad guy, this and that, and uh, you know, but now that the guy's in custody, you know, we're we're I'm not hearing all the passion that I was hearing just 24 hours ago, and yeah. uh, and that's one of the problems too. We're gonna see is that that safety for our citizens and safety for law enforcement can, is going to become regional. And, uh, and that's not the American way. And, uh, and I, you know, again, you voters need to change that because everyone deserves to live in a safe community and every cop deserves to uh, work in a safe area and to be able to, protect themselves and uh and things are getting so regional you know you hit the left loves to talk about equity there's not much equity when it comes to being a crime victim in this country no there were i live in uh i live in a rural washington state county and um there was the news stations that are up in seattle and there was a liberal news station that did a story and they said there is such a disparity between king county where seattle is and my county uh, which is the rural conservative county, and they're going. How come in King County, that somebody does something, and uh, and they get like, um, oh, I don't know, community service, but in Ken's County, they get the death penalty. What seems to be the problem here? And the the uh, the, the DA out here, he goes, if you commit a crime, you're going to get convicted of it, and you're going to prison. <laughs> Up in King County, where the liberals live, they get all like, what's going on down there? And it. I I think a lot of it has to do with, with politics. I would, I you know, going back to George Gascon, the, the L.A. County D.A. Okay, so the guy's in custody. There's been nothing from Gascon's office. No, I find that, I honestly, I find that frightening because, 
yeah, you know, in a normal situation where, because remember this case made national news and, uh, and you would think uh, Gascon again, a former cop. And again, the, you know, one of the highest law enforcement authorities in Los Angeles County, you would think that he would have had a press conference saying that we are going to prosecute this cop killer to the fullest extent of the law. What I'm waiting for, I think a lot of us are waiting for is for him to come out and talk about this poor mentally ill man who was forced to shoot the evil police officer. And, uh, and I, I hope I'm wrong about that. Yeah. And you know what, what uh, going back to the, you know, they got this guy in custody 5 AM or something like that. And they were outside his house and he's not coming out. And they had to put tear gas in there. And these, these, these criminals, they're so brave and they're so brazen when they can ambush a cop and shoot him from behind. But then when it comes time, to cowboy up and oh yeah you, know. you saw him with his hands oh, up right oh yeah. yeah yeah that's that that makes me nuts yeah. um the uh we talked about this before and you know the, the liberal news media if you say anything like calling cops warriors and warrior ethos and all that they go oh you can't say that because it's you know words are violence and uh, <laughs> Forget you. Tell us about the warrior ethos and why it is so important. Even in 2023, when when libs are going, it's just so violent. Why police work is violent? Tell us about the warrior ethos and why it's important. You know, if you want to do a little research, there's a great book by Stephen Pressfield. He's the guy who wrote Gates of Fire. Uh, it's a book called Warrior Ethos, and he and he really outlines it from a historical uh, way of what that is. And this is something my husband, Dave Smith and I teach cops around the country that yes, you are a warrior. The word ethos means values or habits that what are the habits of a warrior cop? You know what they are? Duty, honor, courage, loyalty, strength, selfless service. Aren't those the traits that you want your local law enforcement officer to come to work every day and display as they are protecting the community and protecting themselves. That's what warrior, that's what warriorship is. You know, you, you heard this nonsense, you know, in the, in the last 10 years or so that in fact, there was a book called the rise of the warrior cop and that, you know, police were being militarized and, and this and that warriorship simply means that we are willing to die for the people that we are trying to protect. We are willing to fight to the death, to uphold that constitution that we all took an oath to, and that we are willing to get hurt doing it. It has nothing to do with militarization. It has nothing to do with, we're not hunting down our citizens. We're not hunting down the public. You know what we're doing? You know what a warrior cop does? A warrior cop hunts evil. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole lot more evil in this country right now and a whole lot less cops to hunt it. But you know what? They're still doing it every day, every night in this country. Yeah, and when when it, when a police officer is murdered, I don't see the need for using soft language to being politically correct and all that. Um, and so I, I don't get that, but I really don't care because <laughs> I'm retired, and what I say it doesn't affect anybody else. Um, 
the uh, I, I like the warrior ethos. I police work is is violent, and um, I had a bonus question for you, but I have to. Oh, I know what it was. So back in I, I started on the job in 1980 in Los Angeles, and I was and I was in a police car with my training officer. And uh, he brought up during my training, he said in 1968, 72, something like that. Anyways, he was on the job in Newton Division where we were, where he was training me. And he said, I'm going to teach you some tactics that the Black Panthers used to use. The Black Panthers, when they were active, they would, in Los Angeles, they would bring cars up at stoplights and they would box them in so they can ambush the police officers. He taught me tactics to prevent this here we have moving forward to 2023 and now we have an officer that's minding his own business stopped at a light you teach tactics you teach police tactics do we need to start looking at ambush style awareness absolutely one of the one of the um aspects that we teach uh is a section in our officer survival classes called avoiding an officer ambush and we go into great detail. Uh, we show a lot of videos and we grow, go into great detail on everything from the, the exact tactics you're talking about on how to avoid that when you're stopped at a stoplight or parked in a parking lot and things like that. Um, and then, you know, we, we go on to talk about self-aid and buddy aid, you know, tactical medical um, aid for yourself and for your partner. And, uh, and, and, and the last part of that section, avoiding an officer ambush, is we talk about fighting the false narrative. And that's one of the things that police officers and police families and supporters of law enforcement need to do is to help us fight that false narrative that, again, the American law enforcement officers, some somehow some racist killing thug out there attacking members of our community. One of the reasons that officer ambushes are on 150% upward trajectory right now is because of that false narrative. And we've got to fight it, not just with ourselves and our families. We've got to make sure that that doesn't get perpetuated in our schools, in our churches, and in our local media. Yeah, I just, uh, it's really a shame that that we've come to this. Uh, there was a, I posted a, an Instagram story, or a story today that there was a, there's a sandwich shop, I think it was in Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken, has hired a security with AR-15s at a sandwich shop in Philadelphia. I'm like, is this where we're at? Because if we, if we get to the point where they have gas station armed, Arm, you know we're talking yeah, about rifles. Yeah, QT's got its own police department. Yeah, it's, it's so if we're to that point with a sandwich shop, what is it that what does that mean for cops? You know, well, I'll tell you, I was just in Chicago two weeks ago. Um, my I went wedding dress shopping with my daughter, so we we went to Chicago, and uh, what I saw in in my former city was armed security everywhere we went and mm. and i'll be honest about half of them that i saw uh because the everybody i was with my daughter and her friends and stuff they mostly didn't notice them i saw them because i you know like you i have that eye for that stuff a lot of them were gangbangers but they were you know making sure that these uh restaurants and 
retail stores and and things like that um, were well protected, you know, and that's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, it, it's almost like that we go back to the mob days of paying protection. Um, mm-hmm. But when you've got a, a police department like Chicago that is short hundreds and hundreds of officers, you're going to see a lot more private security of this nature. So I got two questions for you before we, before we uh, close out. But one of them is, here we are, everything's going to crap. Police departments are going to crap. Cities are going to crap. Why, why don't they do something? Like, yeah, we've had it with this. We, we you know what, crime is out of. You know what, we're not going to do this anymore. And cops are going to start enforcing the law. How come nobody's doing that? Well, I'll tell you. There's a, a theory that what is happening right now politically is a purposeful attempt to create chaos so that these same politicians can come in and take control uh, very similar to what they did during COVID. So if you let, for example, let's look at the streets of New York, you know, just, you know, you've got the migrants uh, running wild. You've got rampant crime. You've got a a police department that's going to be, you know, below 9,000 officers for the first time in 50 years. Um, If there's enough chaos created and then the government comes in and says, well, you're going to have to stay in your house for these many hours a day. You're only going to be able to work within this certain area. You're only going to be able to shop at these certain stores, um, but you'll be safe. Um, That's one of the theories that I often hear. And And again, going back to my native Chicago one of the things you're hearing as retail stores are bailing out of the city of Chicago because it's too dangerous, the newly elected mayor there is saying, hey, we're going to have city-owned grocery stores and city-owned retail stores. But what people and people say, oh, well, great, that'll be safe. What they don't understand is then the government tells you because they're going to control it, what you can buy, where you can shop, this and that. So there is that theory that if we have continued chaos then people will submit to additional control. I'm not sure I believe all that personally, um, but I do believe in these blue cities, you you are seeing an absolute purposeful destruction of the criminal justice system and of the city. And then we can talk about the border forever, but you are seeing a very purposeful destruction of this country with our open southern border. A country is not sovereign if it can't control our borders. So really, uh, a long answer to your question is, I think we're seeing an attack on this country, but it's an attack from within. Yeah, which was predicted decades and decades ago. Mm -hmm. Um, The... um, the last question I have for you is I talk to police candidates. I talk to police officers every day and you do too. And sometimes they tell me, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to apply because of all this stuff. And I, and I have to be honest with them. I go, I don't, man, I don't know. Police work is a calling. I, I don't know what to tell you if you don't want to apply. And then police officers go, man, I'm out. I'm out. I, I didn't, I didn't make my 20. I just can't do it anymore. What advice do you have for police officers and candidates who it just looks insurmountable? 
For police candidates, I, I still maintain to this day that the 29 years that I was a police officer was the absolute greatest adventure of my lifetime. And you're absolutely right, Ken. It is a calling. It is a mission. And I don't think that that anyone um, who has that calling would regret it. But what I would tell candidates is this. Do your research. Just don't say, oh, I'm going to test for, you know, the city I live in or whatever. Look at the policies of the jurisdiction you live in, the jurisdiction you're applying for, and the jurisdiction of the state that you are in. And make sure that you are applying to agencies that have pro-law and order, pro-police policies. And that may mean that you might have to move away from home. You might have to move to Florida or to Texas or, you know, go to Wyoming and be cold, uh, you know, but, but you can have a great law enforcement adventure in states like North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, come here to Arizona. Uh, but again, do your research. And I would tell cops who are frustrated and are still uh, on the job, but are thinking about getting it out. One, I would tell you, Get politically involved. All politics is local. So make sure you understand what is happening politically. You can't just, you know, we, you and I, we got hired the same year. We were told to shut up and keep our politics to ourselves, And that was appropriate. We were supposed to be apolitical, at least when we were, when we were on duty. But cops now need to start paying attention to politics, especially local politics and get involved. And if you're young enough and you, you work for an agency that you just see, see that things are never going to change or you don't think they are, then move somewhere where they are. There are a lot of pro-police agencies and pro-police states and counties around this country that will take you and your vast experience and you know what? If you got a family, those are probably better places to live anyway. Yeah. So don't give up on the, it's okay to give up on your agency. Don't give up on this profession because we, the American public need you. Yeah. And I, and I uh, just want, I got a, a comment here. Uh, so uh, John, get a hold of me, Ken at policebackground.net. I will be glad to talk to you about that. Good question though. And John, um, thank you for applying and going through the process. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate you. I'm always, I'm always uh, willing to to give a call when when I get contacted. I give them a call and, and talk to them. So, John, feel free to to give me a holler. Um, Betsy, thank you for being here. I got to tell folks, Betsy. Uh, Smith is one of my blue line heroes. There's very few people. The first time Betsy was on, <laughs> the first time Betsy was on the podcast, I said, I, I got us all in studio. I'm going, hello, Betsy. <laughs> I got shaky and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, doing research on, on Betsy, man, in 2020, she was going toe to toe with BLM on a news program. And I'm going, <laughs> Gosh, that's good. That is some good stuff. Betsy is not shy. If you have any questions for her, send them to me. I'll send them to her. Absolutely. Um, to uh, to answer for you. But if you want anybody that's an expert, has their finger on the pulse of uh, United States policing and what's going on, the war on cops, we're talking about the killing of LASD uh, Deputy Clink. I don't want to mess this up. Clinkenbrumer in Palmdale. Uh, and uh, Betsy has some, has shared some amazing thoughts about that. So again, thank you so much. I know you got to 
you have a new another Fox News interview. Um, yeah, in about forty five minutes or about fifty minutes, you can see me on Fox Business. Fox so. Business. So grab some lunch, Betsy. I don't think you've grabbed some lunch from your other newscast that you had to do today. But uh, uh, we appreciate. Uh, I'll you. eat later. <laughs> and and now, I, I, I can I. I just want to thank you. You know, I, I look at your Instagram uh, multiple times a day and uh, you are you are doing the Lord's work, man. Uh, the law oh, enforcement you. profession needs you. I appreciate that so much. It's good to be retired, is it not? <laughs> it is. I don't have anybody breathing down my neck or monitoring my well, they do monitor my Instagram. <laughs> I do know that, but there's nothing they can do about it. So, well, thank you again, Betsy. And like I say, if you have um, any questions, also, how can they catch up with you and what you're doing, what work you're doing at the National Police Association and all that? So you can go to our website, nationalpolice.org, and uh, see the NPA report there, my video podcast that I do, and see all my news hits there. And uh, you can follow the National Police Association at NAT. Police Asos, N-A-T, Police, A-S-S-O-C. And you can follow me on Twitter at S-G-T, Betsy Smith, at Sergeant Betsy Smith. And I love to talk to people on Twitter. Yeah, all it's well worth it. Uh, Betsy's a wealth of knowledge, and uh, she's doing some amazing work out there. But And uh, thank you so much, Betsy. And I will catch up with you on Instagram as well. Thanks, Thanks. everybody. Thanks for listening to the Police Applicant Podcast. We are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.